Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. This week, as I was studying and prepping, I came across an article that talked about the pelicans of paradise. And these pelicans were from Monterey, California. And the reason why they were called the pelicans of paradise is because as fishermen would go and do their fishing and come back, they would clean the fish in, all that kind of stuff, and they would feed the entrails of these fish to the pelicans. Yummy, right? Like that's all we want to hear after maybe having breakfast, about to go to lunch. We want to hear about the entrails of fish. But this was awesome for these pelicans uh, because it was like a buffet that came to them. It was all the food coming to them. And, And what had happened was these pelicans forgot how to fish for themselves. They forgot what it meant to fend for themselves, live for themselves. They just became so reliant and so dependent on these fishermen that they just really became fat and lazy. Now, as time went on, these fishermen began to use these entrails for other things. So when uh, they would come back, these pelicans were expecting snack time, but it was not snack time. They didn't feed them at all. And what had ended up happening was that these pelicans began to starve to death. They were malnourished and they all started to die off because they forgot how to fish for themselves. They became reliant on those fishermen. Now, Hold on to that thought because this story doesn't end in a tragic ending. It actually has a good uh, ending to it, but, but we'll hit that. We'll wrap back around uh, at the very end of the message to talk about what happened. But isn't it crazy how this environment, because of this environment that these birds lived in, they literally forgot how to be who God created them to be. And really, as we begin chapter two, I believe that's what Paul is going to be speaking to today. Not about pelicans, but about us as people. And again, if you're new to the church or, um, you know, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you've missed a couple of weeks, we as a church have been journeying through the book of Titus. And what we've been realizing, what we've been studying through is that Paul is the author of this letter. He's writing this to a young pastor on the island of Crete named Titus. And Paul really gives Titus his mission in chapter one, verse five when he talks about setting things straight. Things got crooked, things got a little twisted there on the island of Crete. And so Titus's mission from Paul is to straighten out those things that have gotten a little broken there. And what we've been learning is that the island of Crete was full of lost and dying people. And they had no clue that God had created them for a much bigger and more eternal purpose. Also been learning that even some in the church, they had begun to buy into or believe a false gospel. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is instructing Titus how to lead in this crazy environment. Paul wants the church to be people who are having and living for an impact to the glory of God. And so Paul transitions from talking about healthy church church structure, talking about um, what it means to have false gospels. He now moves and he shows Titus how a healthy church should function together to show the world the power and the joy of salvation. What Paul is going to do and describe in these verses is when the gospel is lived out among people, it can act like this magnetic force that draws the lost and dying world to our Savior and what he intended for them all along. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of today's message is uh, Healthy Living in a Starving World. Healthy Living in a Starving World. So what does it look like for this to be lived out? Well, let's find out. Pick up with me. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, again, here's this transition. But as for you, Titus, 
teach what accords with sound doctrine. That word sound doctrine there in the Greek uh, is translated to healthy teaching. So if you want healthy living, he's like, hey, make sure that you have healthy teaching. And then he goes on and he talks about these different stages. He says in verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that, they may, so, that they, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In this passage, we see what healthy living looks like as it relates to the different stages of life. And you can see how this passage is broken down. Right away, Paul gives a command. Hey, if you're going to teach, you got to make sure if you want healthy living, you got to teach healthy doctrine. And then he talks about older men, older women, younger women, younger men. And then at the end, he gives us the reason why we should live this way. And so as we go through this passage, here's what I want you to keep in mind, that this is generally spoken to the church as a whole, but it's specifically applied to these different stages of life. Here's what this means. When it talks about being addicted to much wine, or it talks about the fact that uh, you need to not be slanderers, or you need to make sure that you have self-control, or have dignity, or you know all of that stuff, that doesn't mean, well, that's only for the women, not for the men, or for those who are younger, those who are older. These are generally applied as a whole church. These are all things that should be in our lives, but it's specifically talked about and applied to these different stages of life. So let's look at the first group of people that Paul addresses here. And it's the older people, and he says that we need to listen to the mature. Now, when Paul says the word older, it's believed that he's talking about people who are entering their 50s or 60s. That's what he means when he's talking about people who are older. Now, just as a way of confession, I'll admit it. I know you all think it or had thought it before, but when I was in middle school or high school, when I heard people were in their 50s and 60s, I went, that's so old. Like, I remember going, I think they're going to die soon. Like, that's just what I thought when I was younger. And, and here's the reality. We all thought that. Like, when you were in middle school and high school, don't, just, don't, be, don't be critical about me. I think we all thought that because we had so much life in front of us. We were like, man, that feels so far away. That, like, they're ancient at that point. Now, here's the thing. In about two months, I'm going to be 40 years old. I know, I don't look like it. Yeah, you're welcome. But uh, I look more like I'm 25. But, um, you know, especially if I shave the beard off, you'd be like, who's that young kid? You know, that's, that's what it'd be. But, um, but I'm going to be 40 in about two months. So I am, if the last 10 years flew by, these next 10 years, I'm going to blink and I'm going to be finding myself right in that age bracket. I'm going to see myself approaching 50 years old. And here's what I'm finding out. You're just starting to live when you hit 50 years old. You're 50 or 60 years old. Yeah, that's right. You can raise the roof on that. It's true. You know why? Because you're settled. You raise the roof in church because you're settled. You know who you are. You're not afraid of that stuff. You don't care what other people think. I hang around some people who are older and I go, I want to be like you. Like I just, it's exciting for me to get to that point of stage in life. You just start to live life. 
But Paul, in verses 2 and 3, he gives out characteristics and qualities that older people should have that should make us want to listen to them. And listen, if you are here today and you find yourself coming up on that age bracket, you need to make sure that you're listening closely to make sure these things are being cultivated in your life. And before we even get into the specifics, I do want to say this to those of us who are younger. There is value to older men and women in this church. I truly believe they are God's gift to this church. And I want to say this to those of, those of you who are older, older men, older women, you need to understand that you are a blessing and a necessity to this church. We need each other. I, I've I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth repeating again. Jen, my wife, she works um, at Tenova, the hospital here in Clarksville. And at the time, she worked on the um, medical ICU floor. Now she's on surgical um, hours. It's a little bit easier and better for our family. But um, she was working in the ICU, and this lady, she was in really bad shape. She got in a really bad she, they had, I believe she like, kind of like came back, you know, like was really in, in rough shape. And, and when she came back, she had a conversation with my wife and, and she said, you know, how bad was it? And my wife was like, it's pretty bad. And she's like, well, I came out of it. So the Lord, he's wanted me to get back to church. Do you know of a good church? And my wife was like, well, I happen to know a good one. And uh, she said, you know, the pastor's pretty hot. I got a little crush on him. And uh, I had that for effect. She didn't say any of that, but <laughs> so, uh, but she's like, yeah, I do know a church, Awakened Church. She's like, oh, is that the one on Riverside by the Lassers? Yeah, that's the one. She's like, oh, we drove in. We saw all the young people, and we just left right away. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's the reaction you have? Ah, too many young people. I'm out of here. But, but here's the thing. I've sat down with people. I, over the last several years, I've sat down with people, talked to people, and they come up to me, and they're like, so where do the older people sit? Like, I want to sit, where's the older service? Like, I want to sit with the older people. There's too many young people here. I don't know that I have a place here because it's too many young people. I need to find older people. And and listen, it breaks my heart when I hear those things. It truly does. Because listen, Paul nowhere in here says, hey, there should be an older service for some people and younger service for other people, and neither should they ever meet or intermingle. Like that shouldn't be the case. Have your old service, have your young service, and that's it. No, we need each other. We need younger people. We need older people in the church. We don't need the older people to go, well, I just got to go find the old people church. We don't need the young people to go, well, I just got to go find the next young people church. We need, this is a great, a beautiful example of the gospel. We need each other. Listen, if you're older, we need you around, not on the sidelines spectating, waiting for the next young person to come along and do all the things. We need you in groups, participating, facilitating, We need you teaching our kids. We need you speaking into the lives of those who are in middle school, those who are in high school. We need each other. And listen, I am so thankful for the older men and the older women in my life. I'm so thankful for the example that they've set, the way they've spoken into my life. I could not have made it without them. And I am so thankful for them in my life encouraging me, speaking into my life. Now, I have a great relationship with my dad. I'll talk to him every week, maybe a couple times a week. I'll talk to him about what's going on, ways that he can um, be praying for me, things like that. He'll tell me ways that I could be praying for him. We have a great relationship like that. I understand for some of you here today, you don't have a great relationship with your parents. 
I understand today. Maybe you don't even have your family here. Maybe you don't even have your parents. But that's what makes the church so awesome. Not only do we have brothers and sisters in Christ, we have mothers and fathers in Christ who can come alongside of us, speak into our lives, encourage us, help us when we need it. I know some of you here today, you have found those people. And it's so encouraging to me when I get to see the church being the church. We are the family of God. We need each other. And so with that being said, let's look quickly at these characteristics that Paul lists off. Things that should mark our lives, things that shouldn't mark our lives. And he starts off by talking about the older men. He says that they are to be sober-minded. Here's what this means, that there is nothing else dominating your life other than the gospel. Uh, Even this morning, I talked to older men who've been able to retire or semi-retire. And now they've got all this free time in their life. They got all the things that they can do. They used to have to work a 40-hour job where somebody had to tell them what to do and all that stuff. But they're like, man, now I've been able to retire or even again, semi-retire. And now they got this free time. And the temptation for so many people is, well, you know, now I've got, I can go do these hobbies or now I can go play golf all the time and, and just enjoy my time. Or I could spend time with my spouse or my kids or my grandkids. And the temptation is I got all this free time. I can do all the things that I want to do. But listen, don't overlook this unique season of life that you find yourself in. You have a choice now how to use your time. You don't need to be just about your business. You can now be about your father's business. We may retire from our jobs here on earth, but we never retire from kingdom work. Again, talking to some guys who are older, they're like, man, that's what I'm at. I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago who said, you know what? I'm, I am like looking to retire or take a huge step back from my job because I want to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused. He wanted to redeem the time that he had. He didn't want to waste it. Again, enjoy, do things, enjoy the retirement, do all those things, but don't forget the gospel. Make the gospel your primary motivating factor. And so Paul then moves on. He says that older men are also dignified. Another way to say this is that they're honorable. They're noble. They're men who value godliness and godly living, and they are serious about it. The Greek word that's used here is the word simnus, and it means not frivolous. See, what Paul is getting at is that we don't need a culture of older men who are just laughing and being silly at church, who laugh at things that are vulgar, laugh at things that are are, uh, tragic, laugh at things that are sinful. We don't need men who are just silly in the church. That's, That's what he's saying. We need men who call out sin. When they see in our lives that there's sin, they, they call it out. They're not joking about it. They're not making fun about it. They just don't go, ah, oh, whatever, let him live his life. They call it out because they've seen the destruction. They've seen where it goes. They see what can happen to it if we give in to those sins. We don't need silly men in the church. We need men who, who, are, who are taking things seriously. This doesn't mean that older men don't smile or they just go around hmm, frowning at everybody. Doesn't mean that they, they don't laugh or tell jokes. It's not talking about being stoic. It's talking about taking your life seriously, taking your family seriously, your relationship seriously, because you're taking the gospel seriously. But also it says that older men are to be self-controlled. Meaning this that they have their passions under control. See, older men are not careless or foolish with their words or their behavior. 
but are men who are self-controlled because they've been walking with God for many years. They control their physical passions, and they refuse to be conformed to this world because they are daily being transformed by renewing their minds through God's word. So they're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, and then Paul concludes this talking to older men by saying, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. See, sound in faith means that there's a commitment to living a life surrendered to Jesus. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you're perfect or that you didn't make some mistakes or even some big mistakes in your life. But here's what it means, that as you look back, you take a step back in your life and you zoom out and you see the course, the trajectory of your life. You see consistency and faithfulness and surrender to Jesus. But it's not just sound in faith, it's also in love that there would be a commitment in your love. We need older men in the church who will come alongside of us and instruct us and correct us, but with grace and with love. Think about this, older men, what a privilege it is for you in this stage of life to demonstrate the love of our heavenly father to the rest of us. It's a big calling. It's a big honor. And then, he says, as you do all these things, we are to be, we're to do it with steadfastness. Here's what this means, that the older man does not lose heart. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't drop out of the race. He runs the race with endurance, fixing his eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. Now, before we go on, I know that this is a high call. We look at this list and we go, this is a big deal. This is a lot of stuff here, but this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. It's not that we white-knuckle this thing and say, well, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this by myself. It's not how this works. Everything that God calls us to, men, women, young, and old, he equips us for. We need the power and the grace of God. So we need to listen to the mature. Now Paul moves to older women. Verse 3, he says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Now, again, this is similar to what uh, he was speaking to when, when Paul wrote about older men, but it actually, that, that they are worthy of respect and honor, but it actually has a much more profound and much more deeper meaning. In fact, that word reverent in the Greek, it's only used here in the entire New Testament, and it refers to a priestess. Here's the idea, that older women, you are to live as one who is so aware of God's presence that it changes the way that you act, the way that you speak, and the way that you live. Now, this isn't meant to be a weight. Like, oh, man, like, I don't know how to be a priestess. I don't even know that I want to be a priestess. Like, it's not supposed to be this weight or this burden. That's not the gospel. The gospel says, no, you already are this because of Jesus. You're already approved. You're already loved. You're already enough because you already, are, you already have the presence of God in you. And so really what Paul is saying is, hey, just live like you already are. Live like the priestess that you are in your actions, your attitudes, and your words. Then Paul goes on and says that older women are not slanderers. And when we read this, this is kind of an intense phrase here, especially when you look at the original language, because the Greek word there is diabolus, and it's used all throughout the New Testament to describe the name of Satan. A good translation of this verse would be, teach the older women not to be Satan-like in their speech. Now, you might be thinking, how is slander 
slanderous speech, Satan-like. Well, Revelation 12.10 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that he stands before the throne of God day and night, constantly accusing us. And so when we slander one another, we are coming into the alignment of the character of Satan, which is the exact opposite of the character of Christ and the exact opposite of the characteristic of a priestess who carries with her the presence of God. Now, when, you got to understand, when Paul is writing all of this, you got to understand the culture here. Because on the island of Crete, there were these older women. And they would have stay, been stay-at-home moms, and they would have raised their kids. Because these men would have had career jobs. They would have been out all the time. And so you would have had all these women. And of course, kids do what kids do. They grow up, they get older, and they move out. And so these women are left with all this idle time, and this was happening in the church. So the gospel wasn't being prioritized because there was this idleness. For all of us, listen, idleness leads to worthless conversations. And worthless conversations can be fueled by Satan and quickly turned into gossip. And so this is a strong warning, not only to older women, but for all of us here today. He's like, this isn't, especially older women, he's like, this isn't who you are. This isn't the priest, it's who you are. You don't have to let this be part of your life. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, or slaves to much wine. And your translation might even say addicted to much wine. Again, these women had idle time on their hands. They might have felt empty. They might have felt lonely because all their kids left home. And so they would have medicated with wine. In the first century, if you wanted to numb out, relax, you just want to kind of forget everything, you would turn to alcohol. Listen, things haven't changed in 2023. Don't we do the same thing? If you want to numb out, relax, you want to forget things, numb that pain, what do you do? You turn to alcohol. Again, this warning is applied to the whole church. It's not like, okay, older women, watch that wine, you know. But for the guys and the younger women, hey, get drunk, you know. That's not what it's saying. It's not talking about, hey, younger guys, younger girls, you guys could go ahead and gossip, but older women aren't supposed to. It's applied to the whole church, but it's specifically applied to these stages of life. So none of us are off the hook on this. None of these things should mark our lives. But I love this because it's so applicable to our day and age that we still deal with the same things. There is this temptation to turn to all these substances. I don't care what it is, alcohol, drugs, Social media, some of you might be like, (laughs) social media, what are you talking about? This week I read an article that said social media releases dopamine in the brain the same way that alcohol does. So for some of us, we're so addicted to social media, we're becoming drunk off of it. And isn't it interesting too that in social media, that's where a lot of gossip goes on too? This verse is very applicable to us in our day and age, in our context. Listen, I don't care who you are. If you find yourself today with idle time on your hands, maybe feeling of loneliness, maybe feeling no purpose in life, there is a temptation as a follower of Jesus to numb our pain, but that should not be the case as followers of Jesus. We need to turn to God's word. We need to be honest with ourselves today and say, do these things mark my life? Am I a slander? Am I someone who's addicted to some sort of substance? And if so, you don't need to beat yourself up over it. You need to recognize it. You need to confess it. You need to turn from it because it's destroying your life. You need to turn towards God and rely on his grace and his power to give you what you need to walk in a healthier way. 
I think many of us, we can look at our families or we can look at people in the church that we know that became addicted to certain substances and how it destroyed their life. We could set a better pace. We can do better than that, and it can start today. But then he goes on, and this time, encouraging the older women how to redirect their time. How to redeem this very special season of life that they're in. Verse 3, he says, they are to teach what is good. So how do you redeem this idle time? You teach what is good. Here's what this means. This means that if you're an older woman, you have the opportunity to intentionally involve yourself in younger women's lives. You are encouraging them through your example, and you're showing them what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. We need to listen to the mature. There is power when the older teaches the younger. Age gives you perspective. Age gives you experience. Gray hair is a sign of wisdom that comes from walking with God. And older people in the church, we need you because we need your track record of trusting God, making good choices that has produced a blessed life. So now Paul shifts from talking about the older people and he now starts talking to those who are younger. And here's our second thought for today. It's that we need to live as an example. We need to live as an example. Here's the reality. Spoiler alert. To everyone who is young here today, here's the reality. You're going to be old someday, right? (laughs) I feel it coming on. We all, as you get older, you feel it coming on. We all are going to get old someday. And so we need to listen to those who are older so that we can set the right pace for the next generation, so we can set the right example. Again, a few weeks ago, we talked about this as a church. We said that we are all leaving an example for people to follow. The question is, are we leaving a good one or a bad one? And so we need to ask ourselves, are we showing ourselves, as Paul says in verse 7, in all respects to be a model of good works? Now, that word model in the Greek is to pause. I didn't say tupac. That's something completely different entirely. But it's to pause. That's what it means. And, and here's what it means. It means to leave an impression. So if you've ever been to the beach and you're walking in the sand, you're leaving impressions. If you've ever been, you know, when it snows here, maybe you or your kids, you do some snow angels, what are you doing? You're leaving impressions. And so Paul is telling Titus that you are leaving an impression. You're leaving an example. So set the right pace. Do the right things. Don't do the right thing one time. Do the right thing as a pattern of your life. And the reality is when we do this, it'll give us a voice later on in people's lives. We are all leaving impressions for others to follow. So look at verse 4. It says, Older women, you are to train young women to love their husbands and children. Now, it might seem like an odd place to start at first, right? Like when I read that, I was like, this is kind of odd. But you got to understand something that the Christian home was a new concept on the island of Crete. And at a time when arranged marriages were a thing, love either grew and was learned over time, or love didn't grow and was not learned over time. And so a woman who truly and deeply loved her husbands and loved her kids would have shown like a brilliant light in a dark place. And so, younger women, you are to love your husbands and your children just like husbands. We are commanded and told that we are to love our wives and love our kids. See, Paul wants to make sure that there is an example, an impression when it comes to the family. 
Paul wants to make sure that the commitment to the family was one of the highest priorities. Because again, what we learned last week was that there were false teachers coming in, teaching false gospels and ruining whole households. And so he wants to make sure that they're setting the right pace here. And really the same is true for us. We need to be vigilant in this area as well. Again, how applicable is this to our time? We've seen over the last several years a, a, a decline in the family households, in the family units. We've seen people buying into false gospels. They're going to find life over here. If we do these things or if we identify this way or we do those things, they think they're going to find everything they need right there. But it's a false gospel. It's wrong. I've heard it said that as the family declines, so does the culture. So husbands, wives, love each other well. Love your kids well. Be vigilant. Stand guard against these things coming into your home. But then he continues to say that younger women are to be self-controlled and pure. Again, Paul is talking about faithfulness and their relationship to their husband. Again, Christian home, new thing. So there's supposed to be faithfulness there. Faithfulness to the relationship with God. And then we get to a fun statement here. It says that young women are to be working at home. Now, before we get crazy with a phrase like that and start interpreting what it means, this week I read a, a theologian named John Stott. And he had some really good things to say about this. And this is what he said. He said, it would not be legitimate to base on this word either a stay-at-home stereotype for all women or a prohibition or to prevent women being also professional women. What is rather affirmed is that if a woman accepts the vocation of marriage and has a husband and children, she will love and not neglect them. So here's how this is played out. This isn't about a wife's pursuit of a profession, but about her being idle with her time. So what does this look like? If you're a young mom and you got a job outside of the family, don't prioritize that job over your husband and over your kids. If you're a stay-at-home mom, which honestly is a luxury, right? Like in today's economy, it's like both parents kind of have to work. But if you are able to stay at home, that's a luxury. But listen, you are to take it seriously like a job and you're not supposed to have idle time. Because here's the reality. We will all fall into the temptations that we just talked about, that Paul just addressed earlier of what can happen with our idle time. Slanderous conversation, being addicted to substances. And so really the idea here that is being carried is like, hey, know what to do with your idle time. Don't be idle. Take whatever position you find yourself in seriously. Uh, The two women who are most influential in my life, it's my mom and it's my wife. And I've seen this play out. My mom, she had a career. She was working. Then, of course, she became pregnant with me and then later my sister. And so she chose not to work. That was a choice that she made. And she took that seriously. I saw her have a schedule of things that needed to be done. I saw her take that role seriously in the home. And then, of course, when my sister and I got a little bit older. She then went back to school and got her degree in in, um, teaching, and so she became a high school math teacher. But it wasn't, it wasn't this idle time. She took it seriously. Now, I don't think that made her more holy than women who work, 
But then think, take my wife. There's been seasons where she's been home and then times where she's working. Right now we're in a season where she's working. This doesn't mean that she's unholy because she's working right now. Here's what this means, that she hasn't prioritized her job over loving me, loving the boys, just like for me. I don't prioritize my job over loving her or loving the kids. So this isn't like, hey, women, make sure you stay at home. That's not what it's about. It's about idle time making sure that we don't fall into those traps later. The next on the, for the young women, it says that they are to be kind. And some commentators said that this is connected to being at home. And of course, anybody who is a mom, a dad, you know that there needs to be kindness in the home when raising your kids. We need to have that kindness. But even in a more broad sense, we need to be kind. We need to show the kindness of Jesus in the places that we are. And just when we thought one controversial statement wasn't enough, Paul decides to throw in another one, and it is, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we've run out of time. Um, We're going to pray, and uh, we'll see you. No, it's a little jarring at first. I will admit that. It's jarring, but it's really not that bad of a thing. See, the Greek word for submissive here is the word hupotasso, and it is a military word that means to voluntarily place yourself under or after someone else. Here's what this means. We could say it this way. In every way that I relate to my spouse, I consider my spouse more important than me. Now, what this is not talking about Because this verse could be abused just like the one in Ephesians could be abused. This could be abused. What this is not talking about. It's not talking about wives are a doormat to their husbands. It's not talking about inferior or supremacy at all. What Paul is trying to get at is that this is talking about trust. That a wife trusts her husband enough to lead the family. To lead the family well. Because here's the reality. Both husbands and wives are called to be submissive. In fact, again, I I alluded it to earlier. Paul wrote another letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks all about the roles of a husband, all the roles of a wife. But before he even talks about those roles, he says that husbands and wives are to submit to one another out of fear of God. So here's the thing. God creates men and women. They're both equal. They're both essential, but they're different and unique. Now, I don't have the time to get into all of that, but I would encourage you to go to YouTube and uh, you can type in Awaken Church Clarksville. We had a series little by little where we went verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. I don't remember what week it was, but just go towards the very end because there's six chapters. So it's chapter five. So go towards the very end, and, and you'll see, break, I, I break apart the roles and what all this means in much greater detail. So if you want to get more into it, I would encourage you to go there. But, but here's what I want us to understand. Where all of this gets messed up is when sin comes in. See, there was no dominance in authority before there was sin. There was no shame in submission before sin. Sin came in, and it brought all of that. But that's not what God intended. God intended us to complement one another, not compete against each other. The good news is that when Jesus comes in, he comes in to redeem both. Because Jesus is a model of both authority and submission. So both the husbands and wives get to follow the way of Jesus in their roles in marriage. And now Paul turns his attention to younger men. And in verse 6, he says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, it's just one word here uh, for younger men, but it is loaded with meaning. 
Younger men, historically, we have been impulsive, passionate, ambitious, arrogant. We can give into excess. Younger men, by the grace of God, control your tempers, control your tongue, control your ambitions, your desires, your sexual appetites, which has been the downfall and the failure of young men. I'm in this age bracket. I remember when I came out here to help start this church. I was in my 20s. I thought I had it all figured out. I was impulsive. I was passionate. I was arrogant. I was like, I know how this is to be done. I don't need to listen to anybody else. I know that I hurt people with my temper, with my tongue, that I said things that I shouldn't say, that I acted in ways that I should not have acted. And I am so thankful for the older men in my life who came in and said, Nate, that's not how you should act. That's not how you should respond. That's not how you should live. By the, I'm not perfect by any means, but by the grace of God, I'm better than I was. So younger men, find older men who can walk with you, who can hold you accountable. This self-mastery is possible through the grace of God. I've experienced it myself. In fact, I even love what Proverbs 20, 29 says. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. And I love that because I thought this week about my younger son, Dawson. He loves it. He's got his muscles. He's like, dad, feel these muscles. You know, like I feel him up. You're really strong there, bud. Yeah. And then he'll get on the couch, take off his shirt. He gets on the couch, puts me in a headlock. He's like, I'm going to take you down. And he wrestles me down. And, you know, he likes to then get up and then put his leg on me and kind of like, oh, yeah, I've conquered dad. He doesn't know I just throw him around, you know, but you just kind of let him feel good about himself for a minute. But he's got all this strength. He's got all this energy. And every time he acts like that, I'm like, boy, you got all this energy, all this strength. You just need someone who has a little gray hair to help you know how to direct all that energy. Where to put all of that. Young men, find yourself older men who can speak into your life. Who can challenge you on things. Who can speak freely. Rely on the Lord. I'm saying that from experience. I know what it's like. So rely on the Lord. Paul now is instructing Titus on how to do this, how to be this example, how to leave this impression. And the same is true for us. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And then he says, Titus, in your teaching, show integrity, three things, integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So let's look at this. How do we leave this imprint? How do we leave this example? It starts with integrity. Integrity is when you say what you say lines up with what you do. It's when your private life matches your public life. I've heard it said that integrity is what you do when no one else is looking. Basically, Paul is like, Titus, you need to practice what you preach. And don't we all need to do that? Uh, again, church is full of hypocrites. That's all we hear, right? Because we're not practicing what we're preaching. We need to live lives of integrity. And then he says dignity. Just like the older men, it's the same word here. It doesn't mean that we don't ever smile. We just go, hmm, I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean that we don't ever tell jokes or laugh. It's not talking about stoic, being stoic. It's talking about taking your life seriously, taking the calling that you have to follow Jesus seriously. 
Listen, if you're here today and you are single, take that seriously. Take that freedom seriously. Take the calling that you have in this season of life seriously. Don't just go, oh, wherever the wind blows, I'll just go there. Or don't live your life haphazardly. Take it seriously. If you're married here today, take your marriage seriously. Love your spouse well. Lay that foundation right now. If you have kids, take being a parent seriously today. Be serious about it. Love your kids. Show them what it means to be a family pursuing Jesus. Don't just say you believe it. Walk it out. Let your kids see it. Failures and all. Some of the biggest things I think my kids have learned from me is what not to do. Be quick to repent. Quick to ask for forgiveness. Show them what it means. Model what it means to be a parent following Jesus. And the last thing is sound and speech that cannot be condemned. Again, sound and speech, the sound is healthy. And so what he's talking about is healthy talk. This command really doesn't have anything to do with doctrine or theology, like he said above. It's more about the fact that do you have healthy talk in your conversations? Or again, would they align more with the father of lies, Satan? Are you contradicting Christ in you, being that ambassador for Christ? Or are you coming more in line with who Satan is? Now, why should older men, older women, younger women, younger men live this way? That's our final thought today. It's that our lives preach the gospel to a watching world. Verse 8, it says, So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Here's the point. Together, we present a powerful, collective witness to a watching world. That even though they might oppose us, they'll have nothing bad to say about us. And here's the thing, as we live this way, we are a magnet that brings the lost and dying world to our Savior. Here's the reality. The world doesn't know that it needs a Savior. Before you came to know Jesus, you didn't know you needed a Savior. The world doesn't realize that there is purpose beyond what they could ever imagine. And so when we listen to the mature, when we live like examples, our lives preach the gospel to a watching world. Remember those pelicans in Monterey, California? They relied so heavily on these fishermen to bring them their food that they forgotten how to be and who to be God created them to be. They just became so reliant on these fishermen that they started dying off, starving to death, being malnourished. Well, someone had a brilliant idea to help these pelicans out. So what they did was they imported pelicans from the south up north to Monterey, California, to these um, paradise pelicans over here. And these pelicans from the south, they were accustomed to fishing, to going out and finding food for themselves. They didn't rely on anybody else. And so what they had was they were like, hey, let's bring these pelicans from the south. Let's mix them into with these pelicans from Monterey here, and let's see what happens. And so these newcomers, they went out, and they immediately started catching fish. And before long, all these starving pelicans from Monterey started watching this, and then they started to follow and do the same thing, and the famine was over. And so here's what's so cool about this story. When their fellow pelicans showed up, being who they were called to be, they acted like a signpost, demonstrating to these dying pelicans who they were meant to be. 
See, part of our role as redeemed people is to be a signpost to the world, showing them, hey, this is what you were created for. You were created for a relationship with God. You are starving and you are dying to death, but true life, real life is found in a relationship with Jesus. We need to be that signpost. And we do this by the way that we live and by the way that we interact with people here in the church. We can be this powerful witness to a starving world. This week, as I read this, I was like, man, this is a hard list. It's a lot to live up to. It's challenging. But it made me go, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your power. I need you in my life right now. And maybe for some of you here today, you're hearing these things. And maybe through the Holy Spirit, you're just going, man, I need the Lord right now. I need him in my life. I need his grace. I need his power in my life. My encouragement is pray for that. Don't leave here defeated. Leave here saying, today is the day when this changes. My life's going to be marked this way. But maybe for some of you here today, you're treating your church experience and your involvement just like a consumer. You kind of just show up when it's convenient, when the calendar all lines up, and you're just like, ah, we haven't been to church in a while. Let's just give this a go. And you show up, and you're like, I like this, or I don't like that. Ah, this was good. That was okay. And then you just go home. Listen, God has not saved you to spectate or just consume. He saved you to participate. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a vital part of us being a signpost to a starving world, to be this powerful witness to the lost and dying world around us. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.